this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work again. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of, you know, $500,000 to in debt. $192 million. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by Prescore. What on earth is a Prescore? Pre stands for personal readiness to exit your company. And here we're looking to evaluate how personally ready you are to leave your company. You know, when you go to sell a business to have a successful exit and look back on it without regret, you need two things. Number one, a company that is attractive to an acquirer, to a company that's built to sell. And number two, you personally need to be ready to exit that business. We found that there are four drivers of a happy and lucrative exit, four ways you can personally ready yourself to exit your business. And by completing your pre-score, you are going to see how you're performing against those four major drivers of a happy and lucrative exit. Just go to prescore.com. Dinesh Demija. Started ebookers.com in 1995, sold it in 2005, six short years later, for $471 million. 2,000 employees from a standing start in just six years. An amazing, amazing story. Have a listen for how well he knew his strategic acquirers. One of the pieces of advice I would offer is that you should know who your strategic acquirers are from the beginning. Dinesh knew them. He met them at an industry event and courted them. So when it was time to sell, it was a phone call away. Number two, listen to what they were buying, the strategic reason they were buying Dinesh's company. He talks a lot about what life was like after the sale of his company. And he answers the question, is there life after selling your company? He talks about the decision to sell. And it was one he made jointly with his wife. And some of the thinking behind that is also interesting. Here to tell you, his amazing story is Dinesh Demija. Dinesh Demija, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thank you very much, John. Thanks Dinesh, for having me. Yeah, well, no, it's a pleasure to have someone uh, like yourself on the show. We're here to talk about this company, eBookers. And for those of our audience members who are outside of the UK, they may not have heard of eBookers before, so maybe you could describe what the company did. Well, eBookers.com was uh, in the travel industry, and it was the first um, internet travel company that went, um, um, uh, well, essentially the first travel company that went uh, on the internet in Europe. And so we started off in the UK, but we were in 11 countries in Europe uh, with a market of 300 million people. So, if so was, we had about. Hmm. Yeah, no, I was just, I was just to say. So, if I was uh, traveling from London and I wanted to take a vacation to Greece, I could go on to eBookers and book. I'm assuming my EasyJet flight and my hotel. Is that basically the business model? Yes, you could. Um, but we we booked the whole world from these countries, uh, the UK. Let's say if we wanted to go to. New York or Sydney, Australia, or I don't know, India, you could book from here and we would book them and we would book the, the hotels and everything else. So it was an outgoing operation rather than an incoming one. 
What do you mean by that? By that, by, by that I mean is that um, there are some travel agents who accept groups when they come into a country, and then they look after their needs and bus them to hotels and you know look after them. But we were outgoing in that we we in, in fact in my last year before I sold, uh, we did 1.6 million passengers. Fantastic, fantastic. And was this around? This was now you sold in 2005. I, I can't recall the the sort of timing of events, but there was a time when the the airlines and the hotels were trying to get guests to book directly with them as opposed to going through the lights of a, an online travel agency. Wh- where were they at at that time in 2005? Were they, were they trying to promote guests to go direct or, or were they sort of happy to work with you guys? John, John you're right. Uh, they were trying, but the first uh, port of call for them was the bricks and mortar travel agents. Um, and these travel agents got badly affected by that because what they did was they cut the commissions to zero. And um, travel agents obviously kept booking the airlines and hotel companies, but then the airline companies and hotel com- uh, uh, hotels gave them uh, commissions on the amount they booked with them as a marketing uh, uh, um, commission, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. So if I booked a million pounds with British Airways, I'd get 2%. Uh, but if I booked uh, five million pounds, I'd get six percent mm-hmm. retroactively. So the more you so booked, that's the what more they you started made. doing. Got it. Yes, but I mean, the point was that the smaller companies all went bankrupt. Because in this game, scale matters a lot. Absolutely. You started the business in 1999. Is that right? Correct. Tell me a little bit about that. So this is you know, early days of certainly online travel, even to some extent, early days of the internet. How did you come up with the idea? What was that like? So I was in the travel business before that, but in the bricks and mortar space. And I was a member of an organization called YPO. It's called the Young Presidents Organization. And they're basically from, um, started off in the States. And I was visiting the States in one of the, um, you know, academy universities, you know, which are a week long. And uh, I saw how the internet was changing the travel space there. Uh, And a friend of mine who was a member as well showed me, took me to his office in San Francisco and and showed me, um, you know, that while he's uh, sleeping at night, he's getting revenue coming in through, through the internet. And this was very intriguing at that time to me. Um, of course, the, the, the UK and Europe were, were about three years or four years behind the US. So I literally was the first person to go on, find software, find a software company in Germany and connect up to a Sabre reservation system, Sabre being one of the online booking systems, uh, which in those days was owned by American Airlines. And when we connected, and of course, the for the first three weeks, we got zero bookings uh, every day. Um, I used to get a, 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 a message on my mobile phone at eight in the morning and at 12 at night. And every, every time it beeped, um, I, I saw zero bookings. So, I, you know, I was, I was not very impressed with the internet. And then one day, we got two bookings at eight in the morning. And I said, oh, this must be, this must be the software guy who did this um, 
he's made a booking himself. You know? So I rang up my office and I said, have we got these two bookings? And have we got the credit card? And does the credit card work? And uh, they said, yes. And we made 40 pounds on those two bookings. <laughs> and I was just totally amazed. And I said, oh my God. So that's when it started. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, we went to, um, uh, um, as I said, 1.7 million in five years. It's 1.6 million in five years. Dinesh, how did you finance that growth? Okay. Um, I, as I said, I had a bricks and mortar company. So I, used to, I was making profits in that. And so I had some money. But I didn't have enough to, 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 to do the marketing uh, for an internet company. So I went to um, uh, some friends, and one of them said, um, if you go public within six months, I'll give you $5 million. Uh, by the way, I had to fly to New York and meet one of my U.S. friends, um, because uh, uh, in England, they, they wouldn't value the company for anything, because obviously they didn't know about the internet. And, um, and then the next day, they had connections. This friend had connections with J.P. Morgan, and I remember it was Mother's Day, and the J.P. Morgan guys came in with their ties and suits um, and uh, met us and, uh, uh, and said, we would love to take you public. Because in those days, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs had taken all the best internet companies and left uh, J.P. Morgan, you know, um, behind. So uh, they were very, very uh, interested in taking us public. And that was May... And in November, we went public on the NASDAQ. What kind of revenue did you have at that time? Oh, gosh. Um, sales of $23 million. And that's sales. That's not, I, mean, I don't know how you, how you um, take into account revenue, because I mean, we made about 10% on that, so $2.3 million. Got it. But those are, those are the heady days of, of the internet. <laughs> and uh, and you, you just had to say, I'm a, you know, uh, here's my business plan. Of course, it had to, to work. And uh, we had all the connections and contracts with the airlines from my bricks and mortar side. So, um, uh, and then I went to 100 million in the next year and 600 million in three years and a billion in five. How so much it was the- really fast growth. How much of the business did you have to give up in that round of financing going public? So we went public. Um, I mean, our, our sales were going to be $23 million. And the um, valuation put was $306 million. Um, and I had to give up 20% plus the green shoe of 3%. So 23%. You mentioned the green and then I lost you audio. What? But the, it's, it's, the, it's the green shoe where, where um, you're allowed to put up 15% of your own shares as, as promoters. So it was 23%. We raised $61 million. Uh, and uh, we, um, I think we got $54 million in hand. The rest was taken by the banks and um, lawyers and God knows what else. Who's but the don't one? worry about that. Always give that money to all these people because without them, you wouldn't be able to raise it. Right. Who's the we in this case? Did you have 
founding shareholders in the business or was it you? Or no, it was me and my wife. I see. And w- was your wife involved at all? Like in a, Oh, in totally. Business? Yeah. She, she was working. Excellent. So you raise this money and it, it seems like you grow like a, you know, like a juggernaut at that point, uh, to your own you yeah. know, 3 million, a hundred million, 600 million, a billion. Was it required? Did you, were you required to go for additional rounds of financing or did that get you through to profitability? Yes. Yes, we did. So 61 million, 54 million in hand. And, uh, and the uh, company from 300 million went up to uh, over 700 million within a few weeks because in those heady days, and then there was the crash in 2000 in about April time. And uh, come July, we needed to raise another $45 million. So um, I went to the banks and everyone said, no, we're not giving any more money, you know, to the internet because we've lost so much, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, I'll put in um, $5 million. You know, that money that I'd raised in the green shoe, mm-hmm. whatever money I got, I, I think it was $7 million. I, I'll put in that. Will you ma- will you put that difference in? They said, if you're willing to put it in, we'll put in the rest. So JP Morgan did a, a, a financing round, and we got 45 million, and then we didn't need to raise any more money. Got it. And was that second round what they call a a down round? I'm assuming it was, given the valuation of all internet stocks had plummeted at that time. It was a down round, but um, it was. Um, um, I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't at uh, 306. I think it was around that, but I'm not sure. Um, I mean, it's it, it strange because if you, um, there was a, a Walmart owned, owned um, a supermarket here called Asda. And we did a deal with Asda in that all Asda customers could, could come and, 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 and book their, their travel with us. We did a deal with AOL, we did a deal with Yahoo, and so on. You know, it said Yahoo Travel or AOL Travel, but it was our booking engine in the back, if you see what I mean. I do. So, um, well, then, this, this round was, um, we just said, uh, which we had to, that we've just done a deal with Asda owned by Walmart, which we had to say. And our share price doubled, <laughs> and we got and we got four bookings in, in the next week. I mean, it was amazing. So uh, things were just no one knew what was going on, which was a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, good thing if your shares go up, bad thing if they go down. And the business model itself, making essentially commissions off bookings, did that change at all, or was that the same model all the way through? It was the same model, except that our margins went from 10% to 12.8%. Principally through the increased size of revenue? Well, no, through the the deals we could do. Yes, increased size, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What what triggered you to think about selling this business? It sounds like it was growing like crazy. Um, My wife uh, said that I think that we should leave. I think we've reached a billion dollars. 
um, I'm sure we'll get a lot of money if we sell our shares. And by that time, I owned about 40% mm -hmm. of the shares. And, um, and, uh, and she said, I'm leaving. You appoint someone else as managing director. Uh, I was the, the CEO and she was the managing director. And, um, and so she, she left. And within three or four months, I thought, well, she's right. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, we were working 14-hour days, seven days a week. Uh, and I said, yeah, okay, why don't I sell? So I, uh, I got um, bankers uh, and uh, uh, started uh, selling the business through them in uh, – you know, and going through all the motions that we had to. We were a public company, so we had to do things um, the way the stock exchanges wanted us to do them. What is your? No, wife, I mean, I'd love to know. I'd love yeah. to dig in a little bit more on on your wife's decision. What was it that triggered her to say, "I'm out. You can run it if you want, but I'm, uh, I'm leaving." Yeah, I I think that um, she wasn't enjoying it anymore, and um, and so. You know, working, it was a pressure, pressure cooker environment because you've got, we had listings in both sides of the Atlantic, in both London and New York. And uh, we had to go on road shows every three months. So I had to, uh, plus the East and the West Coast of the States and Europe and the UK. And, you know, it was running up and down all the time. I mean, you get used to it after a while, but in the end, it does take a toll, and it must have taken a toll. This is an incredibly short amount of time. This all happened from you starting the business in 1999 to when you sold it in 2005, just to underscore for listeners how incredibly fast this company grew. Yeah, you're right. So at that point, you hired M&A bankers, essentially investment bankers, to sell the company. Did you go back to the guys who helped you finance the two rounds? No, I did, um, uh, I did a, uh, a beauty parade, as they call it, <laughs> and, and I got in four or five bankers, and I knew the guys who would, have, would want to buy us. So um, I said, listen, I'll... I'll do everything on on the phone, the loudspeaker. Once I chose, I chose Credit Suisse, uh, who who were the lowest in in how much they would charge us as a margin. And uh, then I rang the five or six uh, people who would have wanted to buy us, and in front of them, and I spoke to their managing directors, as I knew all of them, and uh, they said, uh, I said, would you like to sign a confidential? you know, memo, uh, memorandum of understanding. And they said, absolutely. And uh, then we have a, had a virtual uh, document room. So we would give each one different codes and they would uh, go in. Um, and we knew when they were in looking at documents. And, um, and there were two companies who spent a huge amount of money. Um, one was Sendent and one was, Priceline, you know, the bookings mm -hmm. uh, guys. And um, uh, the others came in, they just wanted to, to see what our, our deals were with the airlines. So then they could go and negotiate those as well, if they hadn't got them. So, so you, you know, 
you win some, you lose some. Um, and uh, and then uh, Sendon bought us. So I want to, there's so many questions I've got associated with that. You don't get off that easy. So many questions. The, um, okay. So you hired Credit Suisse. What was it about their uh, pitch that resonated? Why did you choose them? And, and well, I, I, I knew who, well, I didn't need them really. I only needed them for all the statutory um, legal work, et cetera, uh, because I knew who was going to buy us um, because they'd already said to us they would be interested. And um, so I, I bought, but because I owned about 40% of the company, I, I had my own banker because I couldn't be seen to be making um, a, 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 a decision for the other 60%, um, even though they were very small shareholders. So Credit Suisse were there, but I had my own banker. And essentially, my own banker, uh, who was a friend of mine, uh, he um, and I drove the deal. And then, of course, we put it to shareholders, and the shareholders all agreed. How did you come to know the managing directors, CEOs of the five or six companies that you knew would want to buy you? Oh, well, I mean... Um, we used to meet them at conferences where we were all speaking on the internet uh, on, 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 about travel, really. So uh, it was Expedia, it was Priceline, which was bookings. Um, it was um, Sendant. Um, who else was there? Travelocity. Apodo, um, which was the alliance of um, Air France, um, Iberia, and Lufthansa. Um, owned by Amadeus and so on. You know, so there were five or six of these guys and I knew the MDs because they would, they would invite me to golf days and stuff like that. And what was the strategic value that they saw in your company? Essentially, they saw a billion dollars of sales coming to them and they could negotiate with that what they could do with hotels, cars, and, and the airlines. Because this is a volume game, they could, they could get their own commissions up even more because they were adding a billion dollars of, of essentially. Absolutely. So they could go to British Airways and Hilton and, and get more in the way of commissions. Correct. Got it. And they had indicated that they were interested in, in making a deal at, at, at some point. How did you... Well, I mean, Go ahead. There, there, were, there were five or six of them, but only two were really interested. The others were not. Otherwise, they would have made a bid. I'd be curious to know, have you been able to get underneath in the time since why they were less interested? You mentioned they wanted to negotiate. No, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't at that time uh, worry about that. I mean... Let's say if I was Expedia, I would look at all the deals and see, oh, God, British Airways are giving him a better deal and I'm doing more than he is, in, you know, and so on and so forth. So compare everything and, and just, imp just by saying that I'm interested, get, all, get to see all my contracts. You have, you have people listening to this interview right now who are going to be super nervous about what you're describing because essentially your terms with those airlines and others were proprietary. They're, they're, they were kind of part of your secret sauce and you were feeling that. You have to be open to a certain extent because in the end, you do have a brand and ebookers.com was a, was a big brand. It still is, by the way. 
um, I, I'll just, this is an aside. Ebookers was bought by Sendent. It was then put under a, an umbrella called Travelport with other companies, sold to Blackstone, uh, and that whole umbrella was sold for $4.7 billion. And then it was, Blackstone took it out. Oh, sorry, Blackstone took the whole umbrella public themselves. But then they took it out, took ebookers out and sold it to Expedia. Do you know what and the price was? And about four years ago, Expedia bought it, bought ebookers. They didn't buy it when I sold it, but they bought it four years ago say after 10 years of me selling it. And now, uh, eBookers is doing well over $2 billion. Hmm. And when I sold it, it was doing a billion. Do you know what Expedia bought it for? I don't. But the managing directors, uh, director of Expedia wanted to have lunch with me, so I did. But he wouldn't tell me. <laughs> so it wasn't made public. You know, you raise an interesting... No, it was a private deal. Got it. You raise a really interesting point. And for those who have never gone through this before, uh, Dinesh described the data room where online he and the investment bankers he had hired could see who was most interested. And it, it, it turned out, was it, it was Sendent who was showing the most interest, downloading the most documents, opening as, you know, the, 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 a large yes. volume of documents, which was a good uh, sort of indicator to you as the owner that they were the most interested bidder. And we knew who their lawyers were who were doing this, and there were scadnops uh, who are not cheap and were spending a lot of time. So you were starting to see that they were quite serious. At what point did they make their first offer? Oh, um, I don't remember, but I know that they, they said, you see, we, they were on, in a roll-up strategy of buying other companies. So we saw uh, what they had paid for orbits, they bought orbits in the states, and they bought other companies, and and we and so they made an offer, and we said, "Hang on, this is your press release. This is what you paid for this, these sales. How can you pay us less?" So, what were they? I, what I saw they that orbits on a on a. No, I don't remember now, but it was it was it, it, as a pro rata, it was lower. Mm-hmm. Um, we were offered lower, so I said, "I said, listen, you can't do that. This is." So when, after they bought us, our press release didn't have that information because they didn't want anyone to know. <laughs> anyway, right. um, we, we, uh, we negotiated sometimes, um, uh, you know, at two in the morning uh, while, because they were in, 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 in California, um, the guys who were negotiating for them. And so, uh, but it, was, it went through in the end. And... Um, um, we went to, you know, our share price would even go above the sale price because they would think that, that we're going to get more out of um, Sendit. But in, in the end, um, it, I think we sold, it was $471 million um, that we sold for. So that was nearly half times our sales, not our revenue. Wow. Um, which was quite good. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, but I had a ten-year non-compete. How did 50%? because they were really afraid for some reason of me. <laughs> can't can't imagine why. <laughs> so you got no, offer, no, no. You got offers from Sendent and and who did you get an offer from anybody else or was it just Sendent that actually formalized? No, it? no, 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 no,
for some time didn't make an offer. So essentially, you were uh, you were negotiating with Sendent exclusively at, at, at uh, towards the end of the. Yes, the after a while, we we signed an exclusivity clause. Uh, it was that we before or after them. you had agreed to the price? No, it was before. Uh, it was before. How did you get comfortable with? agreeing to an exclusivity because in some ways you're you're giving up some of your negotiating leverage at that point we could have it was a time-bound exclusivity we could have gone back after that time and you knew you had a marketable asset that wasn't going anywhere so yes. felt like you could give them we were not doing badly or anything like that got it got it so you gave them exclusivity and continued to negotiate the price i mean what there's no point if you try and sell when you're not doing well um, not that I was doing really well, but on the other hand, I wasn't doing badly. And what we decided was we want, I want to, my wife and I want to sell. And uh, there's nothing wrong. Uh, everything was fine. 2004, you know, things that, uh, uh, were doing well. 2005 even. Everything was good. So um, once those macro things go away in the minds of buyers, then they say, okay, these guys want to sell. They're a couple. They want to leave. It, it had 2,000 people working for it. So we had 2,000 people uh, in, in different countries. <laughs> Strange question, but what proportion of your, and maybe I'm getting too personal and even asking, but the reason I'm asking this question, by the way, Dinesh, is to, is to try to get a sense from you uh, if if diversification was part of your strategy in selling, was was your share ownership in eBookers the vast majority of your net worth all at risk? So, on the, absolutely. On the backs of those two thousand employees, every single day. No, we were a we were a small business uh, that started in in a tube station called Earl's Court in <laughs> London, in a kiosk. Um, with me and my wife sitting in the kiosk with about 70 or 80 square feet of space and waiting for customers to come in. And uh, that's how we started in 1980. And we slowly built it up to about 235 people in 1996, so in 16 years. And then I came across uh, uh, the internet. And then I got, you know, every dog has his day. So I got my 15 minutes and we were, you know, zooming. Amazing story. You mentioned that you have uh, reinvented, to use maybe the wrong choice of words, you, you, yourself in a new direction. And you were going to answer the question, yeah. is there a life after? So then I, I had a, yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell, I've had two lots of um, different in, incarnations. Uh, I did nine and a half years in, in charity work. So I went into different charities, uh, both in the UK and in India. And I helped form some, give money to some, sit on the, on the, the boards of some. And then I got bored with, with doing that. I still do it, but I, I just got bored. I wanted something new. So I went into politics about four and a half years ago. And... Um, I, I joined a political party called the Liberal Democrats. And they're a small party, not the left Labour or the right the Conservatives, but somewhere in the centre. And uh, we, uh, well, to cut a long, I'm the deputy treasurer 
of the party, and I'm also uh, the vice chair of the federal board, but that's, um, those are just titles. I've just been elected a member of, of the European Parliament in May. So I'm, I'm, an, uh, I'm, I'm like a congressperson, congressman or woman. Um, and uh, so they have, uh, it sits in Brussels and Strasbourg, and they don't have an upper house and a lower house, they have one house. So I'm a member. And what and was it about fun. politics that drew you in? You got, a lot of people would say, why? You know, you've got all the money in the world. Why bother? So it's, it's not the money that counts. It's, it's, it's ticking things off the bucket list that counts. <laughs> I've got to do everything. What else is on your bucket list? Uh, no, I, haven't, I haven't thought of anything that else. But I mean, I, I think the next thing on my bucket list is to keep the UK in Europe. Because I don't like Brexit, and I don't like. Uh, I think that we should be together as as a um, with Europe. I mean, I like uh, sorting. I mean, it's nothing to do with money. Climate change is very important now. Uh, terrorism is important. We, you know, all the the things that we can do in in Parliament, uh, one can do quite a lot. Especially because I don't need any money, so no one can really bribe me, you know, like these pressure groups or whatever it is. Well, they might kill me, but that's a separate issue. I don't mind that. <laughs> What's important is that I'm, I'm having a good time. Do you find that the pull of politics is something that a lot of entrepreneurs from your YPO days feel? Uh, there are some people who've gone into politics from YPO, but it's good fun. You know, these people, are, are, all of them are great businessmen, or, or they run large companies, or they've grown companies, or they've inherited them. But they don't, they wouldn't go into public life because, you know, they might think that it's an invasion of their privacy. But I'm sure that I've got skeletons in, in my cupboard, uh, and I'm sure everyone has. But that doesn't mean I can't try and help um, in my own way. I might be doing the wrong thing, of course. But I'd love to, to do that. Um, and uh, as is scheduled, we are supposed to leave the EU on the 31st of October. So it'll be a very small, short term as a, as a member of parliament. But um, you never know. We might stay. I wouldn't bet against you, my friend. Tell me about uh, – <laughs> I've got a question for you that, that – um, has been sort of percolating for a few minutes here. What advice would you have for an entrepreneur who comes into real money for the first time in their lives? Maybe it's through the sale of their business or some other event that happens, it happened to you. What, what advice would you have for them? Yeah. Well, the first thing that is going to happen is that about 40 banks came to me one after the other, not at the same time. And they said, all, they gave all kinds of horror stories about money and how it should be and, and, and you, you don't have the time to look after it and all that and you should move something into dollars and st some into other currencies and so on and so forth and you know all of it is genuinely giving, given but it's all about timing in life, it's not about uh, taking, you can take advice by buying the dollar and the dollar goes down um, even though it was a good trade, you know, you've got to wait 10 years or 20, 15 years before you get your money back. Uh, you can 
buy the dollar and the dollar goes up and you've made money in six months. So I, it's timing that matters. And timing, no one can tell the future. So as long as you want to hold something for some time, you're okay. So bankers are going to be a pest, uh, number one. I mean, I, I remember um, going to um, uh, a bank and saying, all right, you guys have been pestering me. Buy me $2 million worth of gold. And the gold price was around $500 per ounce, I think. And, um, and they said, you must be kidding. Gold has just gone up from $350 to $500. You are going to be absolutely screwed in the next year. So I walked out of that meeting with my tail between my legs. And, you know, I said, oh, I better not do it. I tell you, since that meeting, gold has never gone south of 550 or $500. <laughs> it, it went up to 1900 and it's now 1400 And, you know, I could have made um, three, four million dollars. But the point was, they were, they're all human beings like us. So if they see something go up, they, they must see it come down. But they didn't realize. And um, so bankers are not that much more special uh, than anyone else. It's just that they're in that profession and they're there to give advice. So I, I had a, um, the other th thing was that I bought 20 million pounds worth of uh, dollars and the dollar or vice versa and the dollar went down. So I lost money on that as well. But it just so happened that that was my, t that was the timing. So I can't blame anyone. It's just that, um, nor do I, did I know. Um, so there we are. So this is going to happen. Then they're going to be your kids and your relatives are going to keep saying, come on, you, what about this charity? And what about me? And what about a car? And what, you know, so your time is taken up with all that. Um, so you've got to deal with it. How did you handle it with your kids? Yeah, I didn't handle it really well, but uh, I handled it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I did give them some money and, uh, um, but I didn't want to give them too much so that they, they wouldn't work. But I think they're working and they never, you know, you always have something that they never work as well as you did or as hard as you did. But uh, there we are. Any advice for parents who are coming into a public amount of money that their kids are going to read about on the Internet? Yeah, I, I would suggest I would suggest that that um, they, they should earn their money, and we all know that, and we all say that, and yet, uh, you know, then they go to the mother, and then they go to the father, and then they try this way and that way, and but I, I think it's uh, it's um, they've got to earn it. I know my kids are good kids; it's not that they're not. But they've somehow got to make their own way in life as well as you have. It's an amazing. Yeah, story. you've got to make your own way in life. And, and you know, but the point is, how do you, it depends on the society you live in as well. That is true for sure. And the easiest thing would be, the easiest thing would be to just, uh, so that they just say, okay, we've got money, we've got a house and we'll just stay in it for the rest of our lives. I mean, that's the last thing you want. Right. Yeah. What's that old saying? Give your kids roots and wings uh, as opposed to things. I can't remember if I'm getting that right, but that was the, uh, the essence of it. Uh, Dinesh, I, I am going to be watching the, the Brexit debate with uh, an increased level of interest with you uh, as, 
as a uh, spearheading the Remain uh, vote. So I, I look forward. Well, to I'm that. not spearheading it. I'm just oh, one of the supporters. The wheel. <laughs> I'm a supporter. Yeah. If if there's uh, is there any way that, you know people are going to listen to this? They're going to want to reach out. I don't know. Uh, what the best way for people to do that? Do you want to send them to a website? Do you want to tell them to? to... I have a website, um, and I'm trying to. Uh, or I'm on Facebook as well. I'm on Twitter as well, uh, and uh, Facebook would be easy. Yeah, but uh, all kinds of things going on, and I'll show. Let me go to the website. Give me the. Is it underscore or not? You'll let us know. There was one other thing. Uh, I, I, there was one thing I did that 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 um, you know something that that really would have um, uh, you know what trophy um, was the question? What yeah, trophy what trophy did I buy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, hang on. Let me give you the, the website. It's www.dinashthemija in one word dot com. And we'll put that into the show notes uh, so people who uh, need the spelling will get they it. They want to go to that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I took out a NetJet contract, and um, uh, which I was using while I was uh, chairman and CEO of eBookers. But then, of course, I didn't use it because that's, you know, 50 hours. And there was no need as, a, as, a, as someone not working. Uh, but I just took it out and that was a waste of money. (laughs) (laughs) My question to all my guests uh, that Dinesh is answering is, is did you buy yourself a trophy? Some, something to mark the, uh, thank God I didn't buy an airplane. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say you got off light with a NetJet subscription. Uh, well, yeah. listen, it's, it was great to meet you. It was a pleasure to chat with you. Congratulations on the sale. Good luck with the, uh, the, uh, the Brexit, uh, push and um thank you for taking the time and thank you very much indeed john for having me thanks for listening to built to sell radio with john warlow for complete show notes with links to additional resources visit built slash blog John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.